Hi, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Come on in, take your seats. Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. My name is Amy. I'm part of the staff here, and I want to welcome you. And uh, anyone that is visiting or new, please know that information about our church is in that seat pocket in front of you, as well as we have our info booth with all the events going on this fall. I want to be a little bit brief this morning because we have a, a nice announcement or presentation about those baby bottles that are out front. And so some of you, or probably all of you, are wondering, what is that? And so we're going to talk about that this morning. But first, I want to remind you of our women's conference one last time because this is the last uh, weekend to register. It is this coming Friday and Saturday. Um, and so if you haven't, haven't registered and you're planning on going, please let us know you're going to be there. Uh, and we're looking forward to that. And uh, with that, um, let's, let's, uh, we're going to play a video. And it's, we're going to have Betsy Taylor come up to talk about peak women's care. It's miraculous. We chose life, and that life led us to Christ. Dave and I had just met. I didn't know him at all. She was an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. Eight, nine years ago now, you wouldn't have let me in your house. I was in and out of prison, miserable, upset. I didn't want to make it past 35. I had no purpose in life. Very shortly after we met, we found out we were pregnant. I literally moved away from Dave and I stared out a window and just, I went numb. It was the longest night of my life. All I kept thinking was, what am I gonna do? I couldn't even take care of myself. And I was supposed to start this journey with a man that I didn't even know. I was told I would never have kids. When Justine got pregnant, there was no words to describe the joy that I had from that news. The fact that she wanted to have an abortion, I couldn't handle it. I searched online for free pregnancy tests, and the pregnancy clinic is the first thing that popped up. Planned Parenthood was directly across the street, and I thought to myself, how convenient got the ultrasound. I had said to Dave, I don't want anything to do with the heartbeat. And thank God they didn't ask. They just flipped a switch and there was the heartbeat. I looked at Dave and I said, that's our baby. Life refocused when I heard the heartbeat and it just changed everything. When my daughter smiled at me for the first time. It couldn't have been more perfect. Life now, it's miraculous. We chose life and that life led us to Christ. And so we started going to church and due to the love being poured into us at church, we decided to get married. And because of that marriage, we have three beautiful babies and we're so blessed. The ultrasound machine that saved my baby's life, my family's life, was donated by Focus on the Family. I am forever grateful. If my daughter had never come into my life, I would be dead. That ripple effect rescued the future. This whole family has been saved by Jesus. And by one early ultrasound provided at no charge to the couple right after she discovers that she is pregnant. This is what we want to be able to provide, a no-cost early ultrasound within seven days of her finding out that she is pregnant. This is a critical time period to get the ultrasound to the woman with their unplanned, maybe unwanted, and unsupported pregnancy, and especially for those considering abortion as their only option. 
This is our mission as peak women's care of Truckee and North Tahoe and to the areas north, think Sierraville and Loyalton and Quincy and Lake Almanor. Uh, it's about 127 miles that we want to try to cover. That's peak women's care. And peak is in the mountains that happen to be all around us. And peak as in performance and quality is what we want to be able to be. But a little play on the word peak, P-E-E-K, is to be able to peek in on that baby developing in the womb by ultrasound and to see and hear that baby's heart beating, her baby. We know that 80% of pregnant women considering abortion who get an early ultrasound will choose life for their baby. 80%. Yeah, amen to that. It becomes real to them. It's a baby. It's their baby. Every month there are 100 to 200 Google searches for abortion or abortion pill in our local area. So if each person, say, is searching two or three times, then that's about 35 to 80 people looking for abortion every month. Choose Life Marketing has developed a plan for us to reach her, this abortion-minded and abortion-vulnerable woman, through paid Google ads, a strong SEO, and geofencing. This woman will find us by her phone as she searches for abortion. Our ad will pop up with pregnant, need options, appointments available today, pregnancy confirmation, and early limited ultrasound available, options counseling provided, all services offered at no charge. Call or click here. This plan will cost us about $2,400 a month in marketing to be able to reach her. Our client advocates will be trained by CareNet and Heartbeat International experts to provide one-on-one -on -one client-centered compassionate care, hope, and support. No manipulation. We know that if we love the woman well and help her see her own intrinsic value, then she will see the value of her baby and choose life. And if we love the man well and come alongside him and offer emotional and practical support, he too will love his baby, his next of kin, his flesh of flesh, and choose life. But it doesn't stop there. We will provide ongoing education on parenting, nutrition, relationships, marriage, and practical mater material support, such as maternity clothes, because you have to look good when you're pregnant, right? Baby supplies, diapers, wipes, clothing, cribs, strollers, everything that a baby needs in our boutique, all at no charge. And with the woman's permission, we will have intentional spiritual conversations, praying with them and sharing our hope in Christ alone. We will also provide after abortion care so no woman will suffer alone. On average, women take 24 years after their abortion to begin to process it. Group counseling and retreats will be offered using the Christ-focused book, Forgiven and Set Free. What is our motivation to be obedient to Jesus' command to love our neighbor as ourself? For we are a Christian, life-affirming organization glorifying Jesus Christ, reflecting his love, grace, and truth. And we all said, Amen. So we plan to lease or buy a medical office to provide life-saving ultrasounds and or maybe launch by purchasing a mobile medical clinic, a van with an ultrasound on board so that we can go to her wherever she is. How will we do this? It will only be by the bountiful provision of God and by the generous donations of you if you will be our new friends and donors of Peak Women's Care. This is going to take a great big community of Christ's followers to send us on mission as the hands and feet of Jesus. But I also invite you to go on mission with us. Be our new board director. Be our fundraiser. Be our landlord. Please lease us an office space. Be our registered nurses to provide the ultrasound scans. Be our client advocates for one-on-one -on -one mentoring. We need an executive director, ASAP, to help oversee the whole clinic management be our receptionists and our volunteers in the boutique. Today, I invite you to take home a baby bottle bank and pull, pull, fill it up with your loose change, bills, maybe a check, and return in four weeks on October 15th. You can also give online on our new secure website, supportpeakwc.com. So please visit the website for more information and please contact me. It is my cell phone number that happens to be on the website. So please call me. So come, I invite you, be on mission with us with your time, your talents, and your treasures. 
that all may choose life and come to a saving knowledge of Christ. God bless you all. Reminder, the bottles do get returned back to SBC. So you just bring them right back here. Uh, with that junior high, you can go ahead and head outside to meet with Pastor Caleb. And let's hear it for Pastor Jesse. Well, good morning. Welcome to Sierra Bible Church. As Amy mentioned, my name is Jesse. And uh, I don't know how many of you know Betsy. Some of you, uh, if you've been here for any, any length of time at all, if you've had kids here, there's a good chance her husband delivered your baby. So uh, Dr. Peter Taylor, I'm pretty sure, delivered me. So that's, that's kind of a neat thing. Actually, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I wouldn't doubt it. But if you were born here at Tile Forest, there's a good chance. Uh, hey, if you don't have a Bible with us this morning and you want to follow along in Ephesians chapter 5, just keep your hand up and one of the ushers will gladly hand you uh, one of our Bibles. If you need a Bible, you can take this one, take it for free. If you know someone that needs a Bible, you can take this and give it to them. We give out uh, several of these every year. I don't even know. I think it's probably a couple hundred or so. Uh, but um, thank you for being here. I'm going to uh, we're still going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, and, and the purpose of the message this morning, we're going to focus a little bit on some things we haven't been focusing on in the last several weeks, uh, and that is this idea, the idea that is in this particular text, that as Christians, we've had this radical shift from darkness to light, and that we are called children of the light. And because we're children of the light, there is a calling for us to please the Lord and to be awake and to help others to be awakened. And so as I have almost every single week to try to remind you of the importance of this letter, which it is a very important letter, but the importance of how the first half of the book is, is pivotal for us to understand our position in Christ. That's what the first half of Ephesians is. This is who you are, right? So if you look down, I know we're not going to stand quite yet, but if you look down at the text, if you're looking at it, in verse 7, you can see here it says, Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness. You were. You were something, but now you are light in the Lord. And, and so there's this shift. It's one of the best verses in all of the Bible, I think, on the radical change that the gospel produces in each person who follows after Christ. You were darkness. Not that just you walked in darkness. This is who you were. You were blind. But now you are light. That's the shift. That's the radical shift. Uh, and so this morning, we're going we're gonna to kind of dive into that and, and understand that that first half of the book is your position in Christ. You were darkness. Now you were light. And then the second half of the book, which is where we're at now, is all practical stuff. So we move from positional to practical. And the practical is because you are a Christian, what should we be doing? How should we be living? Because now we're new. We're, we're new people. We're born again. That, that's the language that's used in Scripture. Our souls have become awakened. So with that, I want to encourage you, uh, as our tradition is here, to honor God's Word. If you were able to this morning, would you stand with me as we read from these verses, starting in verse 7. Now remember, uh, last few weeks we talked about verses 3 through Six, which is kind of a description of what darkness is, living in immorality, living in sin, being impure, being what Scripture would call an idolater, someone that worships or runs to something other than God. That's what an idolater is. It's, it's an individual who puts their affections, their hope, or sets the place where they get their comfort on anything other than God. And so he says to us in verse 7, Therefore do not become partakers with them, idolaters, for at one time you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk, look at here's definition again. It's the word children, just like it was in verse 1 of chapter 5. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. And therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. And that is our prayer, Lord, 
that your light would shine, that your word would speak. It doesn't return void. This morning, there is no doubt in my mind that for some of us, the light will be turned on. Things will be seen as they've never been seen before. And because of that great light that is you, Lord, would you change us to be more like you? That is our hope and our desire, to know you deeper and to walk with you closer and to know you more and more and to live as you live, Lord. And we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You can take a seat. Thank you. Children of the light. Now, there's this description here that, as we see, again, this word children, that you are a child of God, you're loved by God. I think it's fitting that we just saw a video and a presentation on saving children's lives. Because God sees us, even, even as adults, even in, in, our, in our own brokenness, God sees us as kids. And he loves us like we love our kids. Uh, and I was just next door, actually, uh, right before service, hanging out in the children's church area. Sometimes I go over there just to say hi to the teachers and to see the kids. And, you know, uh, I think it was last week or the week before, I dedicated baby Arlo, Joe and Abby's new little baby, and, and I got to hold him and rocking him on my lap, and for whatever reason, I was getting him to smile, you know, uh, because I'm, I'm a pastor, and that's what babies do. They just smile at pastors. It's wonderful. Uh, and, and just holding him and seeing that life, and that God loves us that way. Uh, I remember when I was in San Diego, and my pastor at the time, he, he said when he, he talked about sharing his faith with other people, one of the things that he would do is in his mind is he wouldn't see them as adults. He would see them as what they look like when they're little babies. I'm doing that right now. You're all very adorable, except for one or two of you. There's some ugly babies out there. We won't say who they are. But there's this commandment that we're to walk as children of the light. This is the description of who we are. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, it says, You are the light of the world. That's what Christians are supposed to be. We're supposed to be a light in the world of darkness. I like the words that, that Betsy used that she wants us to be on mission with her. Because that idea of mission comes from, from an old Latin term that, that's called missio Dei, that God has a particular mission. And his mission, first and foremost, is that he would be glorified. That's the idea of light. Light shows great glory. But as we are on mission, the, the idea then is, is that as part of our identity, every single person in the room who has declared Christ as their Savior has been called to be a missionary. That it's not just the pastor that's a missionary. It's not just the missionary out in Thailand or, or in Mexico that's a missionary, but that each one of us ha- have been sent by God. It, it's rooted in the idea that God is ascending God. He sent Christ into the world. And now that he has sent Christ into the world, he sends us into the world to be this light, to be children of light that would expose, as it says here in the text, darkness. He goes on in Matthew 5, 14 and says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand that would give light to all that are in the house. And in the same way, it says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So you can see that from the text, you're supposed to be part of this light that comes from Jesus because you are in Christ, right? This is one of the major themes in Ephesians, that you are in Christ, united with Christ, hidden within Christ. These are very beautiful terms that are used, again, for our identity. When we think of light, light is a little bit hard to define. I mean, it's hard to grasp. You can see it. We know that it comes from the sun. We, we know that there's that term, right? We go, oh, It travels at the speed of light. Light moves. There's movement. But it's hard to try to understand what it actually is. So we're going to try to define that a little bit this morning. What does it mean to be a children or a child of the light? Well, like I mentioned before, part of the light is an understanding of God's glory. We see this in Revelations 21, 23. That in heaven, that's the passage on heaven, Revelations 21. Beautiful passage filled with comfort, filled with promises that the city of heaven, the new Jerusalem as it is called, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. Imagine that. In heaven itself, the presence of God will be enough to illuminate 
the entire place in which we dwell, the entire place in which we live. A psalm, the psalmist writes it like this in chapter 36. He says, how precious is your steadfast love. Remember love? That was in our theme a couple weeks ago from chapter 5, again, verses 1 and 2. Remember his steadfast love. He has steadfast love, consistent love. And then he says, the children of mankind, that's us. The children of God take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For you, for with you is the fountain of life. And in your light do we see light. So the, the psalmist even understands that life ultimately comes from light. And, and the idea of light in Scripture, the idea that, that God shines upon mankind and that you would reflect the goodness of God, speaks to the reality that, that as Christians, we are to be open, transparent, and living in a joyful presence of Christ with nothing fear, nothing to fear or nothing to hide. Imagine what it would be like if you honestly knew within your heart that there is nothing that you need to hide from God. The reality is there's nothing you can hide from God. He knows all. He sees all. He pierces down into into the heart of man, and he knows every action, every deed, and every thought. And the reality is once you understand that you're in the light of Christ, you now understand this great reality that you don't have to hide from God. You don't have to fear God. You don't have to be worried about what God thinks of you. Because again, what is the definition? Children. This is how much God loves you and cares for you and longs to be in relationship with you. The same way that any good parent longs to know their children. Now let's think about light in regards to how we understand it in this world and how scripture defines it. First of all, when God gave light, the importance of light, he, he gave us healthy structure. This is just one of my points on what light is and how to define it. If you were to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, you'll read this particular passage. The earth was without form and void. Do you remember that? Anybody read Genesis 1? A few of you? Okay, congratulations. That's a good place to start, I guess. In Genesis chapter 1, which means the beginnings when God formed the earth, he describes to us what, what the world was like, what the cosmos was like. And he says the earth was without form and void. I looked up that word void. It literally means chaos, undistinguishable ruin, undistinguishable ruin. It was chaotic. He goes further and says there was darkness over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And then there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. The very first thing that God does in the beginning is he creates structure for mankind. Structure is a healthy thing. It's a good thing to have discipline. It's a good thing to say no to certain things. You need structure in your life. Did you know that? It's a good thing to have that. That's actually where freedom comes from. Freedom comes from having good, healthy structure. Now, again, remember, this is important. We don't have structure just to be obedient to God, just, to, just because we, we want to be saved. We have structure and live in structure according to the word of God, which is the light of God for us, because it helps us thrive and do well. Right? Remember, the first half of Ephesians is all about you just understanding who you are in Christ. You're loved, you're accepted, you're chosen, you're adored. All of those beautiful verses, especially in chapter one and chapter two. This is how God loves you. Now, because of this, we need to walk in a certain way. The Bible doesn't write its rules and its regulations just so that you can, you, you can hopefully be accepted by God. You're accepted by God because of the works of Jesus Christ, amen? But now, now we need this structure so that we can actually thrive. The light and the day, the, the, the night and the day, they, they're separated to give us some boundaries. The best way I've heard this described is by Pastor Tim Keller, who, who literally says that, that a fish is only truly free inside of the confines of water. Right? What happens if a fish says to itself, I'm going to follow my heart, and I'm going to jump out of the water, and I'm going to land on the dock, and I'm going to sunbathe for a while. i got to follow my heart. What would happen to that fish? Dead. The fish is only truly thriving within the confines of water or ocean. That is how it's been designed. And you've been designed specifically to live for God's glory. That's, again, the idea of light. You're called to live for the glory of God. And the reality is, is your happiness, your joy, which God wants you to be happy. 
One of my frustrations sometimes in Christianity is that happiness isn't emphasized enough. Joy and happiness are something God cares about. He cares about you being happy. But the reality is, is your joy and your happiness is intrinsically tied to living within the confines of God. You're only free and you're only truly joy-filled when you're actually living for God. And that's why, again, Matthew says, you're supposed to be like light. You're supposed to walk in the light. It, not only does light give us structure, it gives us illumination, doesn't it? It's only when the light is turned on that we can see where we're supposed to walk, where we can avoid the natural pitfalls of life or avoid the dangers of the dark. As it says in verse 11, look, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. There's no fruit in living in a dark world. There's no fruit in living in the darkness of mankind. We need the light to be turned on so we can see where to go. How many of you have stubbed a toe while getting up at the middle of the night to go to the bathroom? My kids always have something on the floor, a Lego or two, that make me call out for the goodness of God in the middle of the night. <laughs> Natural light shows us where to go and to evade the dangers of the dark. As the psalmist says it really well in chapter 119, 105. He says, your word is what? It's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. Light helps us see what, what reality really is. Light helps us see the realities of the world. And something happens when we become Christians and we put our faith in Christ. The light gets turned on and you begin to see the world in a different way than you ever have before, don't you? There was a time in my life where that light wasn't on. And I thought certain things that culture said were totally acceptable. And, I, and once I became a Christian and gave my life to Christ, I started to see that living a certain way wasn't healthy any longer. There was a gentleman here uh, this morning who, who was sharing with me th th that reality for him, that he's now in this place where he was living one way and then God put the light on his soul and now he's living in a new way. And of course, we, we obviously know that light is what gives life, right? If you don't have light, you can't live. If we don't have the right amount of light, we, we don't thrive. Light literally helps us absorb vital nutrients. As John chapter 1 verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Isn't that one of the other realities of light? That darkness never consumes light, does it? Light always wins. If we turn out the dark in here, and we light a match, we light a candle, the darkness will never overcome it. The light pierces into the darkness. But we need this light, God's light, to give us true life, to help us to thrive and to be joy-filled. Uh, some of you know, I, I, I listen to a guy every now and then uh, from Stanford. His name's uh, Dr. Huberman, and he talks about the importance of light. He has this whole thing on the, what he calls protocols. And, and I've been trying to follow those protocols for the last several months where you literally go outside and, and you purposefully, purposefully look at the sun, not right at it because you'll lose your eyeballs, but you, 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 towards the horizon for at least five minutes. And what I found every time I, I actually make that a habit, I get really tired somewhere around nine o'clock, 10 o'clock naturally, right? Last night, I, I was really tired around that time, but there was a Colorado game on. And I went to bed at 11.30. <laughs> Priorities, people. Priorities. And I can feel it this morning, right? There's, there's a way in which we live where we actually do well and thrive. And of course, light gives us comfort. It gives us warmth. It's necessary. And Scripture's really, really clear that, that, that not only does light give us this life, the light that is Christ, the light that is the Word of God, Right? These are important aspects for us as Christians. We are now light. We're no longer darkness. And there are dangers of the dark. This idea of unfruitful works of darkness. They exist. The world is doing everything it can. Outside of these four walls, when you walk in your workplace or you're online or wherever it is that you're roaming, the world is constantly trying to drag you back under the rock and into the pit. Even as I mentioned watching that Colorado game, I, I want to watch Colorado football. I want to watch football. I want to hear people talk about football. And they spent several, several moments in between stopping the game for, for some, some old guy to talk to some 20-something-year-old rapper. 
And I'm sitting there going, I don't care that this rapper is at the game. But they want you to, to, they want you to worship celebrities. They want you to worship the culture. They want you to worship the way that everybody else is living. Because when you listen to these songs and you listen to the, what the culture is teaching, all of it is darkness. It's not light. It doesn't shine. It's, not, it's, just of, it's of no benefit. And at the end of the day, all they're trying to do is, is make money. But there is a spiritual principality behind this. We're going to get to that later in Ephesians 6. Satan is at work behind the scenes in the dark to drag you down, to make you depressed, and to give you anxiety. And what he's telling us here is you can be a child of the light and no longer live in that way. You can have the warmth of God, the illumination of God, the healthy structure of God, the comfort of God that always will overcome the world. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, well, all of Romans 1, really, is a passage on what the world is like in its darkness. Listen to what he says. For although they knew God, right? This is what he's speaking of. Uh, for those individuals, they knew God, but they didn't know God. They knew God existed, but they didn't honor him, it says, or give him thanks. Does that now sound familiar? Do you remember last week's message? Probably not. Let me remind you of it. It's in, the, it's in verse 4. If you look at the end of verse 4, right? It says to replace sin. That's the solution there. If you want to replace sin, you replace sin with thanksgiving. That's how you fight sin, gratitude. And here it tells us in Romans 1, one of the reasons they were in the dark is they didn't give God any thanks. And so they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. I think that's the definition of American culture right there. Everybody's got solutions to everything, but none of them work. Uh, seriously, I did youth ministry for eight years, and I, I can't tell you how many, secular, how many secular seminars that I've been to on specifically how to help stop the huge spike in suicides amongst teens. I've been to a lot of them. And, and I'll, I'll save you some time. I'll give you the seminar. Are you ready? Here's the solution. Oh, yeah, statistics are getting worse, but just keep doing the same thing. That's essentially what the seminar is. It's not working, right? You have people, experts saying, if we just do these things, suicides will go down. And the statistics say the other way around. Why? Because no one in the school system that doesn't know Jesus, if they don't know Jesus, they're not doing what is necessary, which is identity change. The reason our kids are depressed is because their identities are being stripped away in the darkness every single day. And just as Betsy just shared about these young kids, Satan has been in the business of killing children all the way back in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. You go back and you can't help but see these false gods in the Old Testament that basically were calling their people to sacrifice their children in order for them to appease the gods. Abortion's been around for a long time. It's nothing new. And my friends, it's even, even as we turn the light on on that, it's a little uncomfortable, right? Because, because abortion now becomes, oh, it's a political issue. It's not a political issue. It's a biblical issue. It's a, it's a Jesus issue. Even Herod himself ran after Jesus and killed all of the firstborn males because he was scared that Jesus was going to take his throne. You know who else is scared? Satan that there's going to be young children that are going to grow up and know Jesus Christ and proclaim the goodness of Christ and that other people would be saved. Satan knows that if he can destroy the future, if he can destroy the Christian family, and if he can destroy parenthood, especially fathers, fathers in the room, this wasn't in my message, but I'm just going where the Spirit's telling me. Dads in the room, you are so vital and important to the family home. Because the way of the child, it typically is the way of the father. And what we need is we need men who fear God. We need mothers who teach their children the way of Jesus so that young kids can grow up knowing this great light, that they're not walking in darkness and that they're not going to be stuck in the darkness, but that they'll know who the Lord is. And then he, he tells us the, the world, it's unfruitful. Right? Everything about society is... <laughs> isn't it? I mean, I don't even have to make it up anymore. It's just really apparent, 
right? You, you look at our, our, our leaders, and I'll get to that here in a moment, and you go, wow, this is the best we can do? This is the best we can do. We are claiming to be wise. I'll tell you, Americans look really foolish to the rest of the world. And then it says something really interesting in here. Look at verse 10. Right? We're children of the light. We're not to walk in the darkness. Because of this reality of, of such a radical shift in identity, look at what he says in verse 10, 10. And now because of this, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Because we're light, this is how we shine. We shine by being discerning. So let me ask one question first and then another one. Number one, are you a discerning person? Maybe I need to define it biblically so you know what it means. A discerning person from Scripture is someone who's able to grasp and comprehend the things of God. Somebody who has smart judgment. Someone who has a recognition of God's right ways that are called for his people. This kind of discernment in Scripture is necessary for the understanding of spiritual realities on a practical level. In government and in, in life in general, that we would avoid the pitfalls of life. That we would literally, if you were to shorten it, a discerning person actually really knows good from evil. So, are you discerning? The, <laughs> I think I heard him. It's okay, you'll grow up and do it. You'll get it. The next thing to this, though, is someone who's discerning desires to please the Lord. So the next question I'll ask, please tell the young one not the answer. Do you desire to please the Lord? Because to live in the light is about glory, and that's what glory is, that missional thing that I just stated a little bit ago. It's that we want to live for God, and we want to please him. We want to put a smile on his face, even though he's already smiling at us. That's why he, he already loves you and finds you acceptable. None of us in this room are perfect. Right? And even the Apostle Paul tells us this. You remember Paul? Paul was, was on the road to Damascus, and, and prior to that, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was murdering Christians. That's what he was doing. He was living in the darkness. He was killing other people in the name of God, in the name of Yahweh. And all of a sudden, he finds himself on the road, and a bright light shines upon him, and it's Christ. And Christ tells him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? What's the language? You're not sinning against people, Paul. You're sinning against me. And then what he does is he saves Paul, but he makes him blind first. He can't see. Paul disappears for a few years, probably to study the gospel and to relearn everything about who Jesus and God really are. And then he becomes this great light and he writes most of the New Testament through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have him to thank for that. A man who was in the darkness who now uh, was in the light and is in the light. He's in heaven now with the Lord. And in Romans chapter 7, he shares with us this great struggle that we have. Do you, do you remember in Romans 7 what he says? He, he says, hey, I, I, I don't understand myself. That's essentially what he says. I, I don't do the things I know I should do. And I do the things I know I shouldn't do. Anybody had that struggle this morning? I did, right? We all have that struggle. But Paul says in there something really key. First of all, he says, it's no longer I who sin, but it's the sin that dwells within me. It's not your identity. Your sin's not your identity. Your bad attitude last night and your anger, not your identity. It's not who you are. But then he says something really key there, and it's all the Lord really cares about. He says, I have the desire to do that which is right. Down deep, that's what makes you a Christian. Not that you're perfect and not that you do it right, but that inside your heart of hearts, down deep, and I think you can know that this morning, your desire is to do the good thing. So what does that mean? The desire to do the right thing that we would please the God, um, that we would please God. Let me give you a few this morning. A few things that help us to, to, to discern what is pleasing to God. Number one, from Hebrews chapter 11, 6, one of the major things that pleases God is to have faith and trust in him and his promises. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to what? Please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. One of the first things that, that, that needs to be taken away from this morning's message is that if you wanna please the Lord, you have to take a step of faith towards your God. Because you know he's been taking a step towards you. 
He's been running after you. He's been searching for you. And he's going to hunt you down and he's going to track you wherever you go. There's no place you can't go. There's no place you can go to hide from the Lord. If he wants you, he's going to get you. You know that, don't you? That's Ephesians chapter 1. He has set his affection on you, and now he's asking you to step forward with him. And he says, you've got to believe. The first step to understanding salvation isn't what you do, it's what you believe. Do you have faith in Christ that he exists? And the next thing he says in there, and that he rewards those who seek him. God desires to reward you. Number two, it pleases God to use our body as a living sacrifice. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. There it is, acceptable, pleasing, which is your spiritual worship. What you do with your body matters to the Lord. Did you know that? What you watch, what you think, how you use your hands and how you use your feet. There, there's a gal in the coffee shop this morning serving. Was, I think it was her first Sunday serving in the coffee shop. And I was like, ah, so good to see you in here. And she's like, yep, the Lord convicted me. I need to be serving. That's someone who understands the light of God. That's someone who has is, who is understood that, that service is now a part of using your body, that your joy would be filled. Is it possible that some of you are missing out on joy because you're not serving? That's not a guilt trip. That's not why we serve. That's not why we, I mean, if I did, if I preached for my own benefit because it pleases me, dude, there is no way I'd make it. You want to deal with the criticism I deal with on a weekly basis? No, you don't. It, it, I'm putting myself out there every single week. And I understand that some of the things I say up here, some of you love. And some of you, you don't like it. You don't like it. But it's an act of worship. This is my spiritual service unto the Lord. And it's a spiritual service unto you for your joy. Number three, it, ser- it, it pleases the Lord and delights him as we increase our knowledge of him. Not just intellectual knowledge, but intimacy. Colossians 1.10 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. One of the things that you can do today, tomorrow, the next day, is to do anything you can, whether it's a podcast or reading your Bible, but grow in the knowledge of who God is. Number four ties in with our little presentation this morning. To do righteousness and justice pleases God. To do the right thing and to avoid the wrong thing. Listen to what Proverbs 21 says. Proverbs is all about wisdom and living a fruitful life. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Right? Don't partake, it says. Don't Don't take part in verse 11 with unfruitful works of darkness. Now we need to flip that, I think, which means we should be partnering with those things that are filled with justice and righteousness. We should be doing anything we can to whether it's serving or whether it's financial giving to partner with God to bring the light into every place that we possibly can so that people will know the goodness of the Lord. One more. Praying for your governing authorities pleases God. 1 Timothy 2.1. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Do you pay, pray for your governing leaders? And, and, and he's not talking about, if you notice, he's not praying Lord, may the wrath of God fall upon our leaders. That's not the instruction here. The instruction is that, God, would you shine your light into their hearts? Would they come to know you? Would they stand for your goodness and your righteousness? Lord, send to those leaders who are definitely under spiritual attack, don't you think? To bring darkness to the world. These are things that, that please the Lord. It puts him on full display. This is what he says. The fruit of light is all that is goodness, right, and true. Do you see that in the text right there? Verse 9. 
right? This is the fruit. Anything that's good, anything that's right, anything that's true, we as Christians should be fighting for those things and not only fighting for them, but defending them. The church is to be a buttress of truth, to be consistent in a society that is ever waning back and forth between the doctrines of men and and with bad theology and all those other things that are out there. The church is to stand on the goodness of Jesus Christ alone. It's supposed to be all about Jesus. Right? The reason, again, that the, that presentation exists, and I love how Betsy said it, said it. I love what the video said. It's their relationship with Christ is the thing that mattered the most. That's what matters. But there's a last little piece here about being the light. Look at what it says in verse 11 through 14, and then we'll close here in just a few moments. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. Now, just pause there for a moment. You ever notice something? There's, there's some realities here that if you turn the light on in a room filled with cockroaches, what do the cockroaches do? They scurry. I, I literally know people who have said to me, I can't go to church. The church will blow up. <laughs> I've heard that before. No, it won't. But the reason they don't want to come to church isn't because they're really afraid that the church will blow up. The reason is, is they know their heart will be exposed. Some people are very uncomfortable in church because the light gets turned on. And that's what he's saying. And he's saying something about the, this missional attitude that even Betsy touched upon, right? That, that when you are light, light exposes things. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that if someone knows you're a Christian, especially if you're in the construction industry, You ever notice when your light shines, one of two things happen. Either the person will persecute you because they want to shove you down into their dark pit or they'll they'll avoid you or or they'll change their attitude around you. Have you ever noticed that? One of my favorite things to do uh, is when I first meet people, I never tell them what I do. I never tell them I'm a pastor. And it's not because I'm ashamed. It's because I want to see the real them. Right, I remember one time, this is one of the best, best places for me to do it is at the gym. I wear a tank top, and those of you who, who know, you know, I've got tattoos everywhere, and I don't necessarily look like a pastor. And there have been times in the gym where after, after several weeks, and, you know, the guy's talking to me about his gym stuff, and he's talking to me about women and all of that and stuff, you know, and, and then later he'll be like, what do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm a pastor. I have one guy go, no way. Like, yeah, dude, light got turned on, huh? (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes you don't have to do anything. But this is what he's saying in this particular text, that your light shines on other people, and it has the ability to convict them, and it has the ability to turn them in light also. You can be a missional Christian that leads other people to Christ. And you know what? You don't have to do this in a way that's weird. Uh, Some of you know the story. I shared it in the first gathering of of Jim Rippey when he first got saved here, one of the top snowboarders of the day back in the day. And and he became a Christian and was discipled in this church. And and Pastor Wayne, who was the pastor before me, he... Jim came to him and said, hey, I want to read the Bible. I want to study the Bible. And could you come over to my home and and help me understand the Bible? And so Wayne came over and sat down and and on the table where they were going to study the Bible was like a two-foot bong. And Jim, just without even thinking about it, just moved it over and put the Bible down and was like, let's read. Right, and Wayne could have said, oh, Jim, right? You know those kind of Christians? Oh, oh, well, oh, well, mm, ah, oh, oh, you, this is bad, Jim. This is really bad. This is bad. I'm a pastor. This is bad. Don't tempt me. You know, that kind of thing. You weren't tempted, right, Wayne? <laughs> but instead, he just studied the Bible with Jim. He studied Jesus. And as the light increased in Jim's life, Jim realized this was an idol in my life. And without anybody ever even having to tell him, he got rid of the bong all on his own. The Bible says that he who knows what to do and does not do it for him, it is sin. The Lord is the one who convicts. The, one is the, the, the Lord is the one who shines in that place and convicts us of our sin. And this is why he says, as we close now here, therefore it says, awake. Don't be asleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Isn't, isn't that encouraging? This morning, the Lord is shining on you. And he's saying it's time to wake up.
This morning, the Lord is saying, you've been spiritually dead. That's part of the description of what it was before we were Christians. But now you can become light and life. And as we close, it's my great encouragement that as you walk from this place, that you would walk knowing that you were a child of the light. That's who you are. You're not identified by your sin. That it is possible as a child of light to discern and know how to please the Lord. And that you would be awake and not slothful, but filled with zeal, that your light would shine and awake others from the dead. May we be encouraged in Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Lord, we thank you that you are the light of man. It is in you that we find our hope. It's in you that we find our joy. It's in you that we find forgiveness of sin. It's in you where we find a new identity no longer defined by culture or maybe even by abusive parents or an abusive spouse. But Lord, our identity is because of the work that you have accomplished on the cross. May we not forget, Lord, that you labored, you travailed to earn that identity for us. You bled, you died. All that, also that we, Lord, would know you, to be known by you, and to have a new walk of faith in this world, and know that we have promises to come that are even greater than this world will ever deliver. We look forward to it. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come redeem your children from this place. Call us home sooner than later. And we trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In response, we praise our God, for we know that everything to which he's called us, he will empower us.